Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 830 on Friday, January 31st. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, a recent Supreme Court ruling could have severe effects on immigrants. Then a lobbying group seeks to expand Mississippians' wine retail options. Plus, the gridiron girl goes to the Super Bowl. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The Supreme Court has cleared the way for the Trump administration to begin enforcing its new public charge rule, making it harder for lower income immigrants to get a green card if they receive basic public benefits like Medicaid or SNAP. Madeline Morcel is the director of public benefits law at the Mississippi Center for Justice, a public interest law firm that fights Mississippi's culture of injustice. She tells MPB's Michael Guidry the ruling could have profound effects on Mississippi's immigrant communities. This is the last of the three district court nationwide injunctions in force, which means that the Trump administration's rule can go into effect everywhere in the U.S. except Illinois, where it's still blocked. But it's not a final decision. The Supreme Court did not rule on the merits. And the Mississippi Center for Justice, together with the Protecting Immigrant Families campaign, is continuing to fight this cruel policy from becoming permanent. So what is the next step in that fight? So from the beginning, the Mississippi Center for Justice has fought back by joining over a quarter million elected officials, faith leaders, health care providers, and Americans from all walks of life nationwide in submitting public comments opposing the new policy. Those comments have been crucial to legal challenges to the rule. Uh, We've also joined a coalition of other legal and advocacy groups in filing an amicus brief in some of the court challenges to the rule, which are still ongoing. Our fight, in addition to all of that, involves organizing Know Your Rights training for immigrant communities, 
providing legal help and resources to help immigrants get the facts they need to make the right choices for their families, and lobbying Congress. We're continuing to work with partners and allies in Mississippi and across the country to fight this immoral policy using every tool at our disposal. How does this ruling affect Mississippi families, and how wide is that that net cast here in Mississippi? Yeah, so the public charge rule could cause up to 73,000 immigrants and family members in Mississippi, including over 22,000 children, to stop using public benefits like Medicaid or SNAP or avoid enrolling in them in the first place. Nearly all of those impacted are immigrants of color, and many of the children are U.S. citizens. How does it impact them? Well, at its heart, it's fully implemented. The rule will leave some of the most vulnerable among us with a heartbreaking choice continue to make even occasional use of life-saving government benefits that they are entitled to under federal law and risk avoiding, risk losing any choice at a green card or drop out of those services and risk their health and safety and that of their families. Those who support this administration's immigration policy uh, point to the fact that we have illegals using these services, these federal services, like Medicaid and SNAP, without providing anything back into the system. What response do you have to that argument? I'm glad that you raised that, because that actually addresses a very common misconception about which immigrants are using public benefits. The reality is most immigrants who are eligible for benefits are in protected categories, such as refugees or asylees. And those categories are not even subject to the public charge rule. Uh, Other categories of immigrants, immigrants that are here without status, who aren't documented, are not even able to participate in these programs. So that's a very common misconception. We have heard firsthand from lawfully present immigrants across the state of Mississippi who are so terrified of the new policy that they are deliberately avoiding health and nutrition assistance for themselves and their children, leaving them sick and hungry. At its core, this policy is about spreading fear. And let me be blunt, the policy says that if you're not white and wealthy, you are not welcome in America. It's a direct attack on the fundamental values that make our country great. And so we believe that fear is this administration's real weapon and families' um, best defense is is finding out the true facts of the matter. Uh, Immigrant families can contact the Mississippi Center for Justice for legal help making the best decision about public benefit participation based on their specific situation. Madeline Morcell, Director of Public Benefits Law at the Mississippi Center for Justice. Thank you so much, Madeline, for joining us. Thank you. Coming up, a lobbying group seeks to expand Mississippians' wine retail options. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. When your kids are too young to drive, they still have to get places, lots of places. So you spend lots of time in your car or SUV driving them to those places. Thank goodness for MPB Think Radio. While you're waiting in the pickup and drop-off line with the Trazillion other parents, you have fresh air, Southern Remedy, Morning Edition, Everyday Tech, and a host of other MPB programs to keep you company. Go to mpbonline.org to find out what's on and when. You take care of the kids, we'll take care of you at MPB Think Radio. 
Hi, I'm Michelle McAdoo, host of Next Stop Mississippi. Join me and Kamel every Friday as we travel the state letting you know about people, places, and events that make Mississippi great. Now, you never know where we'll end up, but I'm sure you'll enjoy the ride along the way. So buckle up and hold on tight for Next Stop Mississippi, Fridays at 10 a.m. only on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Grocery stores want to be a one-stop shop, but they still can't sell strong wine. Currently, Mississippi grocery stores can only sell wine with up to 5% alcohol. Wines with higher alcohol by volume, or AVB, are sold at locations holding a liquor license. Elliot Flaggs is the chair of the Looking for Wine Coalition, an organization lobbying on behalf of grocery stores and chains to change the laws and allow more wine in grocery stores. He explains the coalition's mission and process Congress with MPB's Kobe Vance. So the coalition is made up of several um, retail food stores from across the state. That's Kroger, Walmart, um, and uh, many of your independent grocery stores, the Mississippi Retail Association, and the thousands of Mississippians that support legislation uh, to allow the sale of wine in grocery stores in currently wet jurisdictions. So currently, grocery stores are allowed to sell beer and light wine, which is below 5% alcohol content. Um, what we're asking to sell is, for lack of better words, real wine above 5%. What have been some of the hurdles y'all have had to cross so far, and how do you think this is going to play out? Uh, the, the biggest hurdle, um, of course, is that the liquor stores, uh, the package retail stores that sell liquor and wine, um, oppose the legislation. Um they will have the misconception that they will be put out of business. However, 38 or actually 39 states have wine and grocery stores now. Um, the most recent are Arkansas and Tennessee. And the numbers that we have from Tennessee is actually seeing liquor store, the number of permits to expand liquor stores and the number of permits to open up liquor stores increase since 2016 when it was implemented in Tennessee. So, um, our opposition has not told us one mom-and-pop shop that has closed in the most recent states. Um, but the part that we focus on the most is not necessarily our opposition. It's more so about creating more jobs and creating uh, another revenue stream for Mississippi without increasing taxes. We had a uh, Mississippi State Business School did a, a study, and in 2016 they estimated that wine and grocery stores would bring approximately 18 to 20 million dollars in additional revenue and the numbers that we've gotten from the department of revenue is that over the last five years wine sales have grown at five percent each year so we, we understand the economic impact uh we support packaged retail stores um we want them to be able to uh we're not against them selling more items, uh, but we want to work with them, and we're hoping that they'll come to the table uh, to at least negotiate with with us and, you know, listen um, to our concerns and the economic impact. And so this wouldn't restrict them from selling wine. This would just make no them... No restrictions. Okay. And there's legislation. There are 
two other pieces of legislation which aren't directly affiliated with our looking for wine coalition, um, but we do support it. One will be to increase the number of permits that liquor stores, uh, <clears throat> I'm saying liquor stores that individuals uh, can apply for and own. Under current Mississippi law, uh, an LLC or a family entity can only own one liquor store. So there's legislation to uh, increase in that number. Um, there's also legislation to allow direct shipping, where if you go to a vineyard in Oregon, California, you can ship it back to your house. And also, if you order online, that, that, that winery or that vineyard can ship it to you. Right now, that's illegal in Mississippi. Uh, so you'd be able to order wine online? Yes. And uh, you Online s- or ship it yourself if you travel. And then also, I know you were mentioning earlier, job creation. How would, what would that look like? In uh, Would it be in grocery stores or would it be in distribution as well? Well, mostly we're seeing grocery stores to handle capacity. Um, right now, we're in a three-tier system, so all alcohol and wine has to be ordered by ABC. It goes to their warehouse. Retailers and the grocery stores would order from ABC, and then it's then shipped to or distributed to that individual entity. Um, so the jobs that we're seeing would be in the retail food stores um, to handle capacity issues, and you need probably more cashiers. Um, so that's the, the numbers that we have in the economic impact study would be, uh, you know, Kroger, Walmart, and other independent grocery stores um, hiring more. And then if you add uh, the 18 to 20 million that I discussed is only from you know, sales of wine, um, we can go and also add more money to that equation simply through the income tax of the created jobs. Well, th- we, we consider this common sense, bipartisan legislation. We have supporters on both sides of the aisle. Uh, it's an easy way to increase our state revenue. We have con- thousands of consumers across Mississippi that want their wine sales to be more convenient and they want more of a selection. Elliot Flaggs is chair of the Looking for Wine Coalition. The expansion of wine retailers may exacerbate existing storage problems. Before liquor can be sold to stores, it must first go through the state's alcoholic beverage control under the purview of the Department of Revenue. Herb Frierson is the department's commissioner. He tells our Kobe Vance the warehouse that houses the state's alcohol is already at maximum capacity and couldn't keep up with the demand if grocery stores began to sell strong wines. Put wine, uh, the, alleviate the uh, problem at the warehouse? No, I mean it, we, we would have to have more space. We got to have more room if we're going to, because we're going to sell more wine, and it, it creates other problems down the line. It's going to be detrimental to your current liquor stores, and uh, it's also going to create a lot of additional work for our enforcement officers because they do the training of all the clerks on ID and uh, and the training of management on the do's and don'ts of it. So in in the long run, it would make more problems than it would uh, create solutions. Well, I wouldn't say that. I mean, it, it just we would have to uh, we'd have to gear up for it. You know, yeah. If we didn't gear up for it, if we didn't have additional space in the warehouse, and we didn't have a few more enforcement officers, yeah, it could create problems. And so, what are y'all doing to try to create more space right now in the warehouse? Uh, Delisting product. Products that don't sell real good, we're not. We're taking them out. We're we're removing them from the warehouse. 
And uh, what do y'all do with the the product whenever you delist it? We send it back to whoever it belongs to. Gotcha. And then also, um, like as far as like trying to get money, what what efforts are y'all going through to try to find more funding to be able to expand the warehouse? We're uh, we're having several different discussions through the years with the legislature. This year, we're proposing that we emulate the uh, lottery. Uh, administration make it a make the warehouse a state-owned private corporation that would be allowed to retain some of the revenue it collects and use that for maintenance repair and expansions and have a private uh, have a board of directors and a CEO run it with the Department of Revenue being on the board because we would continue to house permitting and law enforcement so what would this look like on a day-to-day basis? Would it affect the way things run? Uh, no, it would, it, would, it would look very similar day-to-day going out to the warehouse to what we have now. The biggest difference would be uh, that they would be able to retain some of the revenue they collect to run their operation. The legislature won't let the Department of Revenue retain the revenue that it, any of the revenue it collects to run the warehouse operation. There are 17 states that have the, the, a model similar to Mississippi's, and a lot of them are allowed to keep their revenue. In fact, what we're proposing is very similar to what the state of Virginia just did. And so uh, could you describe briefly what they went through? They created an authority, which is very similar to a corporation. And they have a have a board, and they have a CEO that runs the liquor distribution centers and and ABC for them up there, which that takes them out from under the personnel board, that took them out from under their procurement laws, that set them up more like a private business than a government entity. And then lastly, um, y'all been talking, y'all been asking for this money for eight years. Eight years, okay. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We, this was. When I was appropriation chairman in 2012, I was made aware that the warehouse would be at capacity by 2017 or 18, and the projection was accurate. And so what's going to happen if y'all can't get this extra funding to, or can't make these changes? Uh, we'll just continue to delist products that don't sell as well. We'll just, we'll just be selling the, the best sellers. I mean, we're, we're going to do what we have to do to keep the revenue coming in for the legislature. The appropriation to run ABC, all of ABC, is six million dollars a year. It returns one hundred and fourteen million to the state general fund. That's a hundred. That's a hundred and eight million dollar return on a six million dollar investment. Herb Frierson is the commissioner of the Department of Revenue. Coming up, the gridiron girl goes to the Super Bowl. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. Each week, myself or one of my fellow hosts bring you in-depth interviews with different creative Mississippians. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio. Or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. Young football players across the country will be watching as the Kansas City Chiefs and San Francisco 49ers square off 
in Super Bowl 54 on Sunday night. Among them will be Anaya Eccles, a seventh grader from Oxford. But unlike most of her peers, Anaya will be watching the same from a seat inside Hard Rock Stadium in Miami. The first female football player ever for Oxford Middle School was gifted tickets to the game by Hall of Famer Michael Strahan after her efforts gained national attention. She shares her story with our Michael Guidry. It's the experience, the experience was really good. Um, it was really exciting because I finally get to do something that I've always wanted to do for quite a while. What position do you or have you played? And then do you have any dreams or ambitions to take up any other positions if the opportunity comes? My position I play is offensive line, right tackle. I somewhat want to be wide receiver, but not all that much. But I might just stick with linemen because I'm mostly good with that. Well, what do you like about that position? I like that I'm in... Like, I'm in a lot of contact with the opponent, and I'm doing, like, a really big part uh, of the game. Like, I have to protect the QB, and I'm, like, actually, like, help, like, like I have a big job. And it they, like, the, our QB and running backs depend on us to protect them. So that's what I like about that position. How have your teammates responded to you being a part of this team? They have responded very well. They appreciate that I'm doing it for the fun of the game and to, um, you know, get close to getting to know them better and to try something new. And they're very, very cool with it. So on Super Bowl Sunday, you're not going to be – at home in Oxford, you're going to be in Miami. Is that right? Yes. How did that come to be? Well, I found out I was going just a few weeks ago. Just a few weeks ago in New York, um, Michael Strahan had surprised me with Super Bowl tickets, and that's <laughs> that's how it started. <laughs> what uh, was it? Just your, you know, you playing the game. Uh, that caught the attention of Michael Strahan, or was there anything else along the way? I think it was me being the only girl that was like really contrib- like that was really into the game, that like really had a heart to play, and who really like wanted to play, no matter who said what, no matter who said I couldn't, no matter who said I could. She wanted to be on the field anyway. Will this will this be your first like NFL professional game? Yes. That's well, that's quite a treat to have your uh, the first game you go to be a, be a Super Bowl. Is there any team you're rooting for? or You're just there to soak it all in. I guess I'm just there to soak it soak it all in because I'm not really like a favorite favorite team or a least least favorite team, but I I like all teams. I mean, I think like all teams are well. Yeah, all teams are great in their own way. I think that's what I see. I think that's what I see when I see um, Super Bowl games. If you could say something to fourth, fifth, and sixth graders that are in a similar position that you were in, kind of wanting to play the game but not sure if there was a a way into the game, 
What would you like to, sh- to say to them? What message would you like to share? I would say continue following your dreams, your passion for football, no matter what position it is. If you want to do it, just go for it. Nothing's, nothing's in your way unless you let it. Just do what you love, and it'll, it'll all be easy and just enjoy it. Anaya Eccles is a seventh grader at Oxford Middle School. The Senate impeachment trial continues with closing arguments today. Following arguments, senators will vote on whether or not to consider additional witnesses or documentary evidence. Mississippi Senators Roger Wicker and Cindy Hyde-Smith are expected to block any new witnesses or evidence. If the Senate refuses to hear any additional testimony, they could vote to acquit President Trump as early as tonight. Senator Hyde-Smith faces re-election in November. Three Democratic candidates, including 2018 Challenger Mike Espy are among those looking to unseat the incumbent. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.